my name's Cole. I'm a heroin addict. Hey, Cole. Um, I would like to thank JJ for opening up for me. I hit him up last night, and he was like, I'll be there, you know? And uh, super hesitant about what I was asking him to do until he found out that it was to be of service. And it was, it was super cool. So speaks to your character. Um, thank you, Eric, for asking me to speak. Um, it's always a privilege to, I don't know, kind of come to Heroin Anonymous. I fucking loved heroin. Um, so I always felt kind of out of place in the A&A meetings. And, and uh, I really like the NA literature, <laughs> and, uh, you know. Uh, so I kind of found my tribe here in HA. And, and um, this fellowship is, I showed up to HA dying, you know, with, you know, a period of time sober. And um, they helped me to kind of piece together, like, a program of action that would let me live in this world somewhat comfortably. And uh, so it's always an honor and a privilege to be able to show up and kind of contribute to this fellowship. Um, you know, in saying that, whenever I would come to meetings, um, I remember I would hear all the old timers be like, we all know what it's like to get loaded. So I'm not gonna talk about that, you know? And um, I never trusted those guys, you know? Um, I would look at them and I'd be like, I know this dude ain't been where I've been. I know he hasn't done what I've done. There's no way he's felt like I felt. And I know he doesn't have the insane fucking mind that I have. What the fuck can this guy tell me, you know? And so I think it's very important for me to share with, you know, share with you guys a little bit about what I was like in hopes that maybe you guys would be like, fuck, I thought like that. I felt like that. I, I shot heroin like that. Most importantly, maybe I should have this too, you know? Um, and also I think it's really important in honoring, like we kind of glance over it too in like third step prayer, you know, take away my difficulties that victory over them may bear witness to those I would help of thy power, thy love and thy way of life, right? That kind of implies I need to share with you guys my difficulties for you guys to understand the miracle that's occurred in my life because the guy that's sitting in front of you guys is not the same dude who walked into fucking, you know, the like 12 step fellowships three years ago. Um, my sobriety dates May 7, 2018. My sponsor is Eric Spedal. And um, yeah, I fucking showed up here. I, I tried to get sober so many times, you know, so many times I tried to get sober and, um, and, I always wanted to do it my way, you know? Um, I always thought like, I just go to this 90 day treatment center and get the heat off a little bit, you know? Um, I'm gonna get out of here. I'm gonna go back to work and I'm gonna drink and smoke weed like a gentleman. And uh, unfortunately I have this peculiar mental twist <laughs> where I get out of rehab in 90 days and I have a firm understanding on paper of what heroin does to me, you know? I know this for a fact, but my brain will say, you know, you've never really had too bad a bottom with crack, you know? <laughs> and, uh, and I wish I was just saying that to be funny, but that's literally how my brain works. My brain will convince me that I can do it one more time in one, in one way, shape or form or another, you know, you got this, you just do a little bit of crystal meth on the weekends, you know? 
And um, unfortunately, I have a body that doesn't really respond too well to uh, drugs and alcohol. And a little bit how that manifests. My brain, I'll be like, you know what? I'm going to spend 20. I'm going to buy a little fucking 20 crystal meth. I'm going to mainline this shit. <laughs> and, um, and it's going to be fucking cool. And and I will swear up and down that that's all I'm getting to the point to where that is all I purchase. I $20, I lay it there, I get my meth, and then I leave. And uh, what always happens? You know, I'm back there in four fucking hours to get more every single time. And I thought, I, and you know what? I always thought that I just changed my mind. You know, it's like, it's like, but looking back in the rear view of experience today, it's like, now my body takes over and I experience this phenomenon of craving, you know, phenomenon means that I can't really explain it, but I know that it happens. And, um, and, it, and it particularly happens in times whenever, you know, I should on paper stay sober and the first time I went to rehab, you know, um, God, I'd burn my life to the fucking ground. A little bit of snapshot about what my life looked like at this point. You know, I was, I was a fucking cable repairman for AT&T. Um, so I was like working on U-verse circuits and shit like that. And, um, man, I, I would go to work by day and I would take all my equipment home at night. I also didn't live anywhere, you know, so I just, bounce around but I take all my equipment home at night and I would still cable all night long you know this is back in the glory days where analog reigned supreme so you can still <laughs> so you can, so you can still fucking still cable you know they didn't they hadn't scrambled it via the digital signal yet you didn't need a digital converter box so that's how I was making money I was just hooking up illegal cable and and I'm out of my mind I'm living all over the place I got hepatitis C you know I'm like um you know, my, my veins are all blown out to the point to where like I boof pretty much half the drugs I'm doing. Um, you know, you're not going to catch me fucking snorting it. <laughs> I really put it in my ass, you know? And, um, and like, it's, it's not really working for me. You know, my life is fucking horrible. I remember I was so dope sick one night and it was pouring rain and, and like, I fucking, you know, like when you, it's heroin anonymous, so I feel comfortable telling these graphic stories, but, uh, you know, like that once a month shit that you take, it's like the size of your forearm, you know, um, that fucking hit me, man, one night in, in the late evening and, uh, I was fucking raining, you know, so I like took a shit in this random car and, and like, God, dude, you know, like that point where you get to the point where you're taking the Walmart bag to the bathroom with you because it, it'll no longer flush, <laughs> you know, um, just the life, you know, wandering the streets at, you know, three or four in the morning, no place to go. And I wound up in rehab because I overdosed at work and I lost my fucking job. And uh, I got banned from the union for that too, um, which is cool. Um, <laughs> but anyways, yeah, the union can't save you from overdosing at work, but this is the first time my parents ever came. I mean, it was bad when I came to surrounded by ENT and, you know, it, and my fucking stepdad was there cause he worked for AT&T. And so it's my boss is there. It's not a good look. And, and he's like, yeah, you're going to fucking rehab, you know? And 
So I wound up in rehab and I had never in my life really wanted to quit. You know, I, it was still very much so working for me, despite the fact that my life was horrible. It still was doing for me what I couldn't do for myself. And um, yeah, I got out and my mom, bless her soul, she had hooked me up with a job interview for the state of Oklahoma as an engineering tech. And um, it was a pretty like prestigious position in the Midwest. It had a pretty good salary. And um, I wouldn't really have to do anything. It was like the dream job for a junkie. You just supervise other people working. And, um, and all I had to do was stay sober for three days to pass the drug test. I, I nailed the interview. I, I got the job. Um, but this is the first time I ever came in contact with the idea that I didn't have the power to stop on my own because I wanted to stay sober for three days to be able to pass this drug test. And it would afford me the type of junkie lifestyle that I like to live. And um, I made it till 3 a.m. You know, I was like, I was like laying on my parents' garage floor and I was just like staring at the ceiling. And I was like, all of a sudden, this thought came to mind. <laughs> It's like, you know, you have three days, you know, <laughs> you can dry out by then. And uh, so I'm like, I'm just going to use this one time and then I'm going to dry out from then. And uh, yeah, three days turned into two days, two days turned to, all right, I'm just going to get some fake piss. Um, getting, getting some fake piss turned into, I've spent all my money on heroin. <laughs> and uh I have to beg my little brother to piss in this cup now. And um, it was a DOT split specimen drug test. I'd never heard of one of those before, but apparently you have to piss enough to split it into two. And what wound up happening is they got one clean and one dirty. And, uh, <laughs> and they tested the dirty. <laughs> and uh, they called me, it was actually really tragic. They called me crying, you know, cause I was their coworker's son. And they're like, you, you filled for heroin and meth. And I'm like, oh, you know, <laughs> but I embarrassed my mom in that industry. You know, she, uh, all of her coworkers knew their son was a drug addict and, and, um, and I just kind of set off with this idea of like, you know, I just want to fucking make it work. You know, I didn't matter. I didn't care about the cost or the harm or whatever. And so it started manifesting with me moving, you know. Um, I moved all over the fucking country in search of like trying to control and manage my environment, you know, like um, trying to find cheaper drugs. Um, I moved to Colorado Springs. I'm thinking that if I lived in a state with legal marijuana that I, you know, would be fine. And um Next thing you know, I'm shooting heroin with a heroin mic in the Walmart parking lot for nine months, you know? And um, yeah, it just kept transpiring. I spent some time in Indiana. I got thrown out of a treatment center there. Um, so I kind of know a little, about, a, a little bit about what JJ comes from, which is fucking miserable over there. That was terrible. We were living in a squatted out uh, trailer smoking crack. Oh, yeah. yeah, and yeah, it's terrible. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, you know, and, and I started coming, I really, at this point in my life, it was so fucking bad. You know, I just, 
ground bottom for years and years and years and it was fucking horrible and i and i really wanted to get sober at this point i wanted with everything i had to get sober i was so sick of the suffering that went along with like what my life was i was so sick of like you know walking the streets aimlessly at three or four in the morning with nowhere to go um i was so sick of like flying signs and you know spanging outside of walmart um so sick of just trying to come up with ways to call my parents and giving me money um and so i started going to rehabs you know and um i was adamantly against the 12 steps because it had something to do with god and um i had these old ideas that were impressed upon me in in my childhood of what god was you know i had this idea you know my grandma was a god-fearing you know bible thumping woman and uh i remember she would fucking come over and she would i mean she would like chant in tongue you know at church and i remember being nine years old and being so afraid like oh my god <laughs> you know and uh, so i wanted absolutely nothing to do with god and um so I would go, I mean, I went to any lengths to not do God, not do the 12 steps. I would go to Scientologist based rehabs and I would fucking yell at ashtrays. And um, like, I mean, I'd be like pouring when they're seriously thinking this would like help. And I'm so shot out on meth that I honestly believe this might work. And um, I remember like going in there and they're like, you got to find a higher power. And I found a higher power in the form of a Keurig machine. Um, you know, in my shot out brain, I was like, I'm like sacrificing this, this virgin K cup to this, to this <laughs> coffee machine. And then it, and then it, the K cup is produced later on and it's been penetrated and defiled. <laughs> and uh, then all of a sudden coffee comes. And like, so I'm, so it turns into me like doing rain dances and sacrificing K cups to this Keurig machine. And, um, it's my first experience with God. <laughs> you know? um, but yeah, I kept doing that fucking for years, man. Like three or four years. Like I just go to these Scientologist based rehabs, anything to avoid this, you know? Um, I had all these prejudices on what I thought this program was. Um, I didn't, I fucking hated crusty old bastards and I didn't want to spend my days smoking cigarettes and drinking coffee, you know, and listen to some dude talk about how he hates his wife and you know that wasn't like my thing and, and uh, they lied to me you know um they told me they were like hey you can go to this iop out in california and i was like it's the 12-step based and they're like nope and i was like sign me up I'm, I'm out there and the first day i i get into the fucking van and this dude's like you need to find a higher power you need to get a sponsor you need to work all your steps you're gonna recover from this young man and i'm like i will fucking blow my brains out <laughs> i will fucking end it right now i have nothing nothing to live for in life and if you're saying this is my only alternative i will fucking end it and uh they, they started taking me to meetings and uh i hated everyone i hated everything i looked up all these reasons why the 12 steps don't work i would go on these long rants about how build up was a was a 13th step in white knuckling ascot who, who asked for a drink on his deathbed and he dropped acid in sobriety, you know, and I just go on these long rants about how this shit sucked. And, um, you know, like, oh, drink coffee, smoke cigarettes, and wish we had guns, you know, and, fucking, and uh, go on that whole rant. And 
I had this counselor that pissed me off. You know, he said, I've seen better men than you die. And uh, I'll be here when you get back. And I was like, so I got a sponsor on resentment. And I learned, I worked up to my sixth step. I made a good beginning, but I failed to perfect and enlarge my spiritual condition. And um, I learned just enough about the first step through this experience. So I didn't see myself in the big book. I fucking couldn't identify with it. You know, this is a book that was published in 1939. It's some old crusty alcoholics, you know. Um, I can see myself in it. And um, I got loaded again. I stayed sober for a year on that, on just half measures AA. I was miserable. I was driving around with a moped, no, no license. Um, you know, I spent three grand on eight ball pool, which is an app on my phone. <laughs> I lived in, I lived in sober living for five months without paying rent. And when they asked me for money, I told them to get fucked and moved out. <laughs> and uh, it was the most miserable fucking year of my life, you know, because heroin does for me what I can't do for myself. And the moment you, I always thought physical sobriety would fix it it that is the beginning of my problem <laughs> you know that's when the loneliness the despair the the fear of everyone starts really kicking in and so i get sober and i have to find some sort of solution you know so my solution back then is eight ball pool um trying to get laid but never really succeeding um you know just like doing a whole bunch of random shit to get out of myself you know um, a whole bunch of unhealthy stuff and and I got loaded again and nothing bad happened. You know, I'm a, I'm a product of a, of a lot of really severe bottoms, you know, um, I've like lost, I've overdosed and lost the use of my legs. I couldn't walk for three months. Um, you know, I, I've been through some shit and um, spent a lot of time homeless and nothing happened on my last run. Nothing bad happened, but I woke up six months into it and I was just like, something that that dude had said had sunk in you know and i and i had this experience where i realized that i identified with the first step i knew without a shadow of doubt that i was powerless over heroin um as evidenced by the mental state you know which precedes a relapse and what happens whenever i take it my body takes over you know and how come i can't get physically sober and stay sober i know what happens to me when i get high how come I can't just fucking put my will in place and stay sober, you know? And then all of a sudden something happened. And I think, you know, something you gotta, in my experience, from my perspective, there's something that has that you have to come into this program with it. I can't give to you that fucking build up, can't give to you a sponsor, can't give to you, um, not a person that's where I can give it to you, but it's, it's willingness, you know? And um, mine came in the form of well-whooped ass, you know, it's just like, fuck, you know, life just seems so I, unbearable. And uh, it came to the decision of I had $800 and I could either pay my rent, but I, but I wanted to get high. You know, and it was like one or the other. I can get high, go back to the streets, or I can pay my rent and try and kick. And I was like, I'm fucking done. And I came back here and um and I launched into the work, you know. Um and something happened, you know. Um they 
my sponsor at the time really taught me how to read the big book, you know? Um, he said the same way you read this big book is the same way you listen to members in our fellowship share, you know? Um, did I feel like they felt? Did I drink like they drank? Did I think like they thought? And um, when I just keep a few of those things in mind, all of a sudden this book started coming alive to me. Um, you know, you re I used to read Bill's story and I'd be like, you know, ah, yeah. Man, I feel such a strong connection to Bill's story now because it's like, whenever he's talking about fucking, you know, the, the ego surrounding coming up behind Walter Hagen, <laughs> like playing golf, you know? Like Walter Hagen's like basically back then, like the modern day Tiger Woods of today. And here old Bill Dub is thinking he's catching up to him, you know? I identify with that. I remember being in at and and thinking like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be the best cable repairman in the world, you know? <laughs> uh, you know, um, but yeah, this book started coming alive to me and, and it was so crazy because this fucking book that was written in the 1930s was describing the experience of a modern day heroin addict. It was, it was explaining things for me, which I couldn't explain prior, you know? Um, identification started to form and from there, you know, I could accept it as a solution. And to be totally honest, I really didn't have any other fucking, any other choice to make, you know? And, um, and I started strong, I finished my 12 steps and I think it was like the first year I was sober and I was working with others and, uh, and I really like adopted this way of living. You know, I had a really good sponsor in the first year who really showed me like um, what my primary purpose was and how to, you know, how to conduct myself as a sober member of society. And, um, you know, some of it seems really crazy. You know, if you've ever read this book, if you've ever gone through the steps, you're like, you know, like on page 63 in the third step, you know, it says, having had a new employer being all powerful, he provided what we needed um, as long as we kept close to him and performed his work well. And you're like, perform God's work? You know, what the fuck do I think that I can do for an all-knowing, all-powerful being that he can't just do it for a fucking self, you know? Um, that didn't really make sense to me, but my sponsor at the time broke it off to me like this. He was like, he's like, doing God's work, you know, like God gave you a choice that he didn't reserve for himself. And I'm like, okay. And he's like, you have the choice as to whether or not you want to reciprocate God's love. God doesn't have that choice. God is love. So your job today is to do for God's kids. And then God's job is to do for you. And so I really took that in, in stride and I, and I did what I could in the beginning. I showed up here with absolutely nothing. I, I didn't have anything when I got sober. I had no money. I had no financial support, um, nothing like that. And I just worked my ass off and I, and I showed up for every newcomer that I possibly could have. I always made myself available. I made sure if I was going to a meeting that my car had at least two or three fucking new people in it who were, you know, trying to trying to walk this way of life. And, um, and yeah, it started out in the 1988 Ford Festiva and, uh, paid a thousand bucks. And I was like, picture me rolling, you know, <laughs> and, uh, but it, it was beautiful though, because I was like constantly, you know, working to get out of myself and working with others and, and, um, 
just allowing God to work, you know, I'm going through steps four and five, you know, I, I, at this point, I'm like, I've been a career criminal my whole life, pretty much, you know, I fucked a lot of people over, done a lot of legal shit, you know, I was involved in some really sketchy operations. So I really prided myself on having no paper trail, but uh, unfortunately, like I wanted to be free, you know, and I believe what this program was telling me could happen, you know, um, you'll see a lot of crazy promises around here. You know, you hear the ninth step promises at every meeting you go to. Um, that stuff happened for me. You know, when I, when I approached this with an open mind and an open heart, I really put my, put my all into it and put one foot in front of another, um, this thing actually started happening for me. And I, and I started being able to, have you guys ever had a day where you just felt fucking present? You know, you weren't, you weren't worried about the troubles of tomorrow and you weren't worried about the regrets of yesterday. And you felt this peace and serenity and you were capable of like meeting things as they came. That's what happened for me, you know, through working the steps. And I'm not gonna tell you guys it's been like great ever since. Right now, I'm going through what I consider the Great Depression. Um, it's been not really good for a while, you know? Um, that's the thing. I, I can be blocked from God, you know? Um, right now, it's pomp, you know? Right now, it's like this, this, I'm gaining my worth from my work situation, you know? Like, I got a lot back from coming to this program. The job, like, universe I used to do, like, I love that job. Despite the fact that I was high on drugs, I really enjoyed it. I, it did something for me. And I got to rejoin my trade whenever I got sober. And um, God just kind of took me there and showed me a path. The path was laid and I just took it on faith. And now I'm like, I'm like a lead supervisor of like all of the major telecom companies, fiber operations in San Diego. And um And I, and I have nothing to think but God for that. It's nothing that I did. It was just a path being laid for me. God took me there and I just showed up and that's all it was. But I've allowed it to kind of assume the role of my higher power. You know, I'm like, this is what I'm relying upon for worth, for security, for, um, for this feeling that everything's going to be okay. And, and so I'm in this space where I'm just so fucking scared, you know, for no reason, you know, nothing on paper has happened and it's bad, but I'm, I'm just so like caught up in this identity. And so I'm in the process of like reworking my steps and re reconnecting to that power. Um, it's crazy too, because like my sponsor in the beginning always told me you, you're either going to go or you're going to grow. And that's been my experience, you know, because this is a, for me, it's always been like a, a system of just leveling up. You know, I'm constantly faced with areas where I can grow and I either choose to grow or, you know, I'll work myself out of the rooms. I don't have the luxury of being stagnant today. I don't have the luxury of not growing. I have to, I have to face it and I have to move forward. Um, and this is just one of those times, you know, I also had a sponsor used to tell me, you know, lessons and blessings. That's all it is. I'll get so tripped up off the page that I will completely fucking burn my life to the ground. Whenever God's still writing the chapter, 
you know? It's not really up to me today to try and control and manage and to try and make things acceptable to me. Because whenever I take that, whenever I take that and I start utilizing my will to get the things that I want, that's when stuff starts getting fucked up. And um, right now I'm in that position and I'm just trying to get back into it and trying to reconnect um, because it's already done it once for me, you know, and it, and I know that God will work for me again. It's just about reconnecting and, and seeking these things myself. They're blocking me from God. That's the whole object of the fourth step is to, is to find what's blocking you from God. What inside of you is blocking you from tapping this power? And, um, yeah, I've just got a whole lot of shit that's just piled up over the last year. But outside of that, it's fucking really good. You know, I've, I've been in a relationship for a year and a half now. My, my relationships before I got sober, I'm Native American. And uh, I used to get all whiskeyed up and beat the shit out of my girlfriends. And I don't say that to tell you guys, like, I'm not proud of that stuff. I'm not proud of it at all. But I have to tell you guys this so you can kind of see the, the miracle that is my life today. I have a healthy relationship. And I've never once, like, done anything to dishonor this woman. And um, that's a super cool place to be, to stand here today and tell you that I kind of walk here as a free man. You know, I've never once acted out on her or like anything else i haven't stolen from work in three years i fucking love stealing from work you know they trust me with keys now too um but yeah i would just like to i would like to thank this fellowship for a few things you know my mom got to come visit this past year and i had a place for her to stay um i had a car that she could drive you know um and it was so cool. You know, my mom moved to Alaska to get away from me. You know, um, she literally was going to kill herself or just disappear. And she did. She just straight disappeared to Alaska. And it was like, I'm not dealing with your shit. And um, as a direct result of working these steps and applying these principles in all my affairs, I've rebuilt that relationship with her. And um, it, she's seen the profound change that I've experienced in my life and is now on her own spiritual journey. And I get to be a source of support in her spiritual journey. She's like, she'll call and ask me advice on certain things. And, and, and I get to tell her she's being selfish. And, it's, <laughs> and uh, it's come full circle because she does the same for me now too. You know, she'll say, you're a selfish prick. And I'm like, oh yeah. Um, <laughs> But yeah, my dad, who I was unwilling to forgive when I was a kid because he kicked us out on the street when I was nine. Um, I found forgiveness for the man and I've learned how to show up for him and how to be a son. And I was able to be there for him in his time of need. You know, my perception has shifted from what you did to me and what I can get out of it to what I can contribute to you and how I can show up. And, and um, yeah, two years ago, he lost his leg to uh, diabetes, to gangrene. And um, I was able to show up and be there for him in the hospital. You know, the son who used, I broke a fucking window out of his truck because he wouldn't loan me $20, you know? Um, the son that fucked him over, over and over and over again. 
was able to go there and be there for him. And I made amends to him and, and we laughed and cried and I uh, spent four days with them. And, and um, I owe all of that to you guys and to God. You know, I owe everything I have today. So, um, yeah, thank you for asking me. Whoop.